Just a short note before we get started this evening, I would like to apologize in advance for the poor audio quality that we experienced toward the beginning of this podcast. Our guest, Darcy Richardson, had problems connecting with our studio, but later on in the podcast, his voice came through loud and clear, almost as if he's sitting next to me in the studio. So just stay tuned. It gets better as time goes on. Thank you. Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on July 25, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast, and we have a special guest with us this evening, Mr. Darcy Richardson, the Alliance Party's vice presidential candidate. Mr. Richardson is no newcomer to the American political scene. In 2018, he ran as the Reform Party's candidate for governor of Florida. In 2016, he announced his intention to run for the Reform Party's nomination for president, but lost that bid to Roque de la Fuente. That's a name you should recognize. In 2012, he challenged the incumbent Barack Obama for the Democratic nomination for president in five state primaries, including my home state, Missouri, along with New Hampshire, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas. Darcy also has some experience in the real world, particularly in the financial services industry. He spent more than a dozen years as a senior specialist for a major financial brokerage firm. Perhaps most notably, Darcy is an author of more than a dozen books, many of which focus on the struggle of third-party politics. He is the recipient of an outstanding academic title from the American Library Association and prestigious Choice Magazine in 2005. His most recent book, The Lowest Ebb, Norman Thomas and America's Minor Parties in 1944, is a political biography of a six-time Socialist Party presidential aspirant, Norman M. Thomas, and his candidacy, as well as other minor party candidacies, in 1944. Darcy also wrote A Nation Divided, the 1968 Presidential Campaign, which is a dramatic account of the 1968 presidential election, covering everything from Lyndon Johnson's stunning withdrawal to Bobby Kennedy's assassination and George Wallace's law and order third-party candidacy that threatened to throw the election into the House of Representatives. It is a fascinating story of the remarkable events and personalities that shaped American politics in a turbulent and extraordinary year. A year, by the way, that may only be surpassed by our current year, 2020. Darcy has been quoted in major publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, and the Philadelphia Inquirer, and has written numerous articles for a wide range of publications. He has also been a guest on several nationally syndicated radio talk shows spanning the political spectrum from the progressive Tom Hartman show to Joseph Farah's conservative World Net Daily radioactive program. Darcy Richardson, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you, Dan. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. So, uh, politically speaking, you've been around the block a few times, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have the lumps to prove it. So, I'm going to ask you uh, an outright open question. Why you, why now, and why the Alliance Party? Well, uh, great question. I've uh, spent uh, a great deal of my life, beginning when I was about 19 or 20, uh, challenging the uh, duopoly, or what we used to call the two-party system, uh, beginning with uh, Eugene McCarthy's uh, 1976 uh, independent bid for the presidency. I was a uh, volunteer in the uh, Philadelphia area, and 
um, that kind of sparked my interest in uh, in challenging, uh, you know, the entrenched uh, duopoly. Um, McCarthy, uh, unfortunately, uh, was pretty much blacked out from the media. Mm-hmm. And here was a guy who, you know, only eight years earlier had unseated a sitting president of his own party. And uh, Gene had a lot of profound things to say in 1976. But the, the national media, to be honest, really didn't want to cover him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he would hold large rallies in New York, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where he would uh, fill, fill up an auditorium, 3,000 people, 5,000 people in some cases, and get a like a, a little blurb in the uh, morning papers you know, the following morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the media did not want to cover him after eight years of uh, you know, Nixon and Watergate and Nixon's success for Gerald Ford, the, uh, the, it seemed like the national media just wanted a, a change. And, the, you know, Jimmy Carter was their, their choice. So Gene, I mean, that was probably the closest thing I've ever seen in American politics to a complete blackout. Mm. Um, I worked the polls in a Philadelphia suffer for election day. And uh, I swear, I swear, uh, Dan, Nine out of ten voters that I would approach coming up to the polls had no idea that McCarthy was even running, hmm. let alone that he, he was on the ballot. Um, so, so that was a uh, an eye-opening experience for me. And uh, uh, following that campaign, I decided to uh, get involved in local Democratic uh, politics and uh, serve three terms as a Democratic committee in uh, Montgomery County. And uh, but I, I kept a foot in the, in the third party board. And in 1980, uh, waged my first statewide uh, campaign for elective office on a consumer party ticket. Uh, I ran for a state auditor general. I was only 20, 24 at the time. Hmm. And uh, uh, that was another uh, interesting experience. I, I canvassed the entire state, uh, participated in the statewide televised debate. And, uh, and from that moment on, I've been... Uh, you know, trying to uh, topple the uh, two-party system. Mm-hmm. Could you have a little bit more in-depth about this? You said that the media was not covering uh, Gene McCarthy's um, candidacy. Why do you suppose that is? Well, it was baffling, to, to, to and I spoke to uh, Senator McCarthy in later years several times about it, and uh, it was just that they were so fixated in ending the Republican administration. Um and, uh, you know, Gene had some short things to say about Jimmy Carter, uh, but also, you know, Gerald Ford in, in that race. But uh, Gene, uh, believe it or not, this is, a, this, is, this is true. Gene had to declare his candidacy seven times just to get noticed. Wow. I mean, it was a, it was a virtual blackout. And uh, uh, there was an, an occasional uh, local columnist who would do a story about him or a nice article. But it was very limited. There was almost no national attention whatsoever. Um, so he, you know, consequently, uh, there'd be a short, a few short blurbs at the New York Times or the Washington Post. Uh, uh, he, he, he really couldn't get covered at all uh, on the CBS Evening News or any of the major uh, broadcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So some, consequently, the American people had no idea he was even running. Uh, right. Gene did get on the ballot in 29 states. And, uh, he, 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 you know, he had a campaign from coast to coast, but nobody knew it. It was, wow. it was amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So 
the, the media is probably, I would just have to assume that they have the same motivations today that they had last time. So, um, so that's going to be a, an extra hurdle for you and Rocket de la Fuente to, to overcome. But uh, more specifically, um, what, what are you bringing to the party right now? I mean, what are you bringing to the, to the, uh, to the political situation right now that uh, people would be very interested in, in knowing about you well, and Rocket? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, w- with the help of the Alliance Party, we're we're offering a uh, pragmatic, uh, centrist alternative that I believe a a plurality of Americans would embrace uh, if we're able to get our message out. Now, unlike uh, Gene McCarthy in '76, um, we do have other ways now of reaching the masses. You know, social media, mm-hmm. which uh, Gene didn't have. You know, in the year year of America's bicentennial. So um, he was totally dependent on, you know, local and, and major media for any coverage whatsoever. So uh, we do have, you know, uh, the ability to reach the people directly. So, um, you know, we would like to do some uh, short uh, videos uh, introducing Rocky and myself to the American people, try to saturate social media with those, uh, you know, short videos mm-hmm. just to make the American people aware that there are, are other alternatives here. Mm-hmm. We don't have to accept necessarily, you know, the megalomaniac in the white house or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Joe Biden, who's probably, you know, um, a little bit beyond his prime at this point mm-hmm. um, the country's hurting. It's hurting very badly. If people were honest with themselves, they would acknowledge that the two parties have failed the country and they, they failed it badly. We weren't prepared for this pandemic. Um, and I don't think either party has a clue how we're going to get out of what is going to going to be an ensuing Great Depression. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's that, that's our um, challenge. Uh, how do we how do we make the American people aware that we're out here? Yeah. And um, I, th- I think the Alliance Party with its manifesto has a number of uh, great ideas that I think a, a, a definitely a plurality of people would would welcome if they were aware of it. Right. So you mentioned the manifesto, and that was actually what I wanted to talk about because um, the Alliance Party recently rec- uh, created and released online the manifesto. And from a definition perspective, a manifesto is simply a declaration of policy and objectives for the party. And the Alliance Party manifesto, uh, it emphasizes four different areas. There's health care, the economy, education, and the environment. So um, let's take them in that order. Let's tackle healthcare first. Um, we, we've devoted a number of previous podcasts to this subject because it affects a lot of people. And especially these days, you know, with, with COVID, um, a lot of people are finding themselves out of work and therefore they're out of healthcare. So could you give us some insight into this issue and, and what you and Rocky De La Fuente plan to, uh, how, how you guys plan to attack and, and approach this subject? That's a great question, uh, Dan. The our our healthcare system is a mess, um, as the manifesto describes. Uh, we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Um, over fifty percent of the personal bankruptcies um, are resulting by you know from mm-hmm. some serious illness where people don't have the ability to pay uh, you know any healthcare bills, and uh, we we deliver. Uh, um, you know, quality outcomes and health outcomes uh, 
at a rate below most other developed nations. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we, we can do much better. Um, and we do need some sort of universal single payer, single payer basic health care plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Obamacare was, you know, a small step in the right direction. But when they left it up to the states to provide uh, expanded Medicaid coverage, that fell short in all of the red states, uh, including here in Florida, where I live. Um, hundreds of thousands of people who should have been eligible for some uh, expanded Medicaid coverage uh, here in the Sunshine State were denied it uh, mm-hmm. under uh, Governor uh, Rick Scott. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's just more, more profound now in the face of a, uh, a deadly pandemic. Yeah. And uh, this is something that, that has to be addressed. And, uh, I, you know, I, I fully embrace the Alliance Party's position on it. Good. Um, and and I'm, I'm going through a personal situation right now with a, a loved one who um, um, has an end-of-life situation, uh, fortunately does have health coverage. But but it, it, if he didn't, I mean, uh, what would he do? Right. I mean, it's... Uh, it's yeah, it's a dire situation. Yeah. We really need to provide at least basic health care for every single American. Yeah, that's actually and, and you you say you point out that your friend is very fortunate to have coverage in this time mm-hmm. of his life, but um, there's a lot of people out there that that don't, you know, and they're simply. Right. I mean, it's an Anne Rand sort of. Uh, um, or Ayn Rand, I guess her name is, uh, sort of environment, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's this rugged individualism and it's, um, it sounds good in theory, but you know, when it hits you, you personally right. or someone you're in your family or, or a loved one, um, it's a quite different story. So, and it's hitting a lot of people right now with COVID. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a good, that's a good response. So let's move on to the economy and, you know, right now our economy is taking a beating, um, We've had representatives from the commission, uh, I think they're called the Commission for a Responsible Federal Budget on this show. We've had them on this show several times. And each time the theme is the same. We've overextended ourselves financially as a government. We haven't paid down the debt when times are good. And, you know, the, the, the Tax Act of 2017 is an example of that. And so, therefore, we don't have any margin, you know, now that times aren't so good. So, um, this is all against the backdrop of Social Security becoming insolvent in less than 15 years. So what specific ideas do you have insofar as, you know, being a good steward of our, of our nation's finances? Well, uh, typically, I, I would support, um, uh, you know, we, we, we've got to reduce the national debt under, under ordinary circumstances. Right mm-hmm. now, it's, I, I think it's close to $26.6 trillion as we're doing this uh, podcast um we're, we're so overextended as as a national government as a society um and what we're doing is uh, creating uh, future generations of debt slaves mm-hmm. and what this is what this is going to be is is and it already is to some extent but it's going to be more profound uh, a decade from now or two decades from now where entire generations uh, are, are going to experience what I've been describing as the greatest transfer of wealth from ordinary Americans to the investor class, because who owns the debt? Mm-hmm. You know, the debt is owned by uh, uh, obviously the you know people who are among the one percent. Um, a large portion of it is you know owned by foreign governments, 
mm-hmm. uh, foreign banks, U.S. banks, Wall Street. Uh, this is going to unless unless we can you know get a handle on government spending, uh, which may may include some tax increases uh, to, to to narrow the uh, the debt or the annual deficits. Uh, uh, what what is lying down the road is, is just a, the greatest transfer uh, from ordinary taxpayers to to the wealthy, and no. uh, I, I think that's almost criminal. No. You know, it's, uh, and you mentioned before about uh, a lot of ne- of, of uh, a lot of this debt is is owned by foreign countries. Um, I mm-hmm. think is it China? I think is number one right now, isn't it? They're, they're yes. the highest. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's pretty amazing when you think about the uh, about us uh, having um, strained relationships with China right now. Uh, one other thing that I've noticed about uh, China is, as well as India, is that a lot of our pharmaceuticals are manufactured over there. So it, it's all inter- it's all intertwined. Um, so let's talk about education. Um, now there was a time when our nation had the highest scores worldwide on education, and now uh, now we're looking at you know person, woman, man, camera, TV. I mean, this is considered bragging material. And I don't mean to be flippant about it, but, uh, you know, yep. it, it surprises me how uh, how we're looking at basic knowledge and basic capabilities these days. So, uh, first of all, you know, what what happened to our education system and and what is what is your plan for dealing with it? Well, that, that's a, a very good question. The uh, I think a lot of it. Um, uh, you, you know, we have a lot of expensive universities and, and colleges in the country and, uh, you know, all duplicating or many of them duplicating the same things that other other schools, you know, uh, offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the things that Rocky has talked about, and I believe the Alliance Party also had something similar, uh, is, you know, uh, transitioning to um, more of an online education, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, for the uh you know, at the university level. Um, and uh, Rocky had talked about creating a world-class university with you know, the best, brightest, you know, uh, professors and instructors uh, that the country could offer. And the, the idea would be to make it affordable, um, you know, for, for everyone who wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's one thing that we, we can look at. And, and, you know, obviously a lot of the uh, universities that I just mentioned, including Harvard, because of the pandemic, they're transitioning to this now, yeah. uh, this this fall, and uh, so that's something that, that, that we could look at uh, when you look at the just the uh, burgeoning student debt in this country. I mean, uh, you know, we have, we definitely have to do something uh, about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what we do, um, uh, I think, uh, is you know I, I don't know that all the universities and colleges in this country are going to be able to uh, continue after this pandemic, especially mm-hmm. if they're not able to figure out a way to safely social distance students in an on-campus environment. And uh, I, I think um, Harvard and some other schools are going to be pleasantly surprised by the outcomes that they experience by offering classes online, I mean, strictly online. Mm-hmm. And that should help drive down the cost of education. You don't, have all, you don't need all the uh, mortar and brick buildings. Uh, all you know, you wouldn't need the same uh, level of, of uh, 
college staffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's, that's one thing that we're kind of being forced to look at that because of the pandemic. Right. But Rocky was talking about this, you know, years before the pandemic. Hmm. But but the cost of a college education is really outside the reach of most most people in this country. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, good. And um, let's talk about the um, the final part of the uh, manifesto here: um, the environment, and and more specifically, we can talk about you know carbon dioxide, CO two, w- which is a byproduct of burning fossil fuels that's basic chemistry there and you know sure co2 occurs naturally in the atmosphere but over eons of time the earth with all of its plants using photosynthesis struck a balance at around uh, i believe is 280 parts per million carbon dioxide i don't mean to be really technical here but the technical part is is what's really alarming here because in 1958 is when we started measuring the co2 levels at the top of the mountain in maui hawaii and at that time, the CO2 level stood at about 316 parts per million. And today, now, it's over 415 parts per million. That's a, quite an increase. Mm-hmm. And worse than that, it's rising at nearly three parts per million per year. So there's two undeniable facts in my mind regarding global warming. Uh, one of them is that burning of fossil fuels has caused, has consistently increased the level of CO2 ever since these measurements have been taking place. And two, and this is basic science, uh, CO2 acts a lot like humidity in the atmosphere, causing the atmosphere to retain its heat. Now, if you've ever lived in a desert, I lived in Southern California for many years, a desert environment, and as soon as the sun goes down, you have to put a jacket on. The air starts losing its heat right away due to the low humidity. Uh, CO2 will act a lot like humidity, and it, it will cause the atmosphere to not lose its heat. So now... Switching over to you know to what what the, the politicians are doing you know we're, we're trying to fight the big polluters on global warming, but that generates a heat source all of its own. So um, what do you bring into the table in so far as addressing global warming? Well, uh, pretty much uh, Rocky and I both uh, agree with the Alliance Party's position that we uh, and other there are other political parties that uh, share this, uh, such as the Green Party. But we do as a nation and really as a world, you know, have to transform to a low carbon economy. And and that means investing heavily uh, in, you know, green technology. We want a 100 uh, percent clean and renewable energy um, uh, society probably within a decade. I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's late. It, it's much later than most people think. Um, but but that, that's that's imperative. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, this 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 is scary. This this is an existential threat to the planet and to all the inhabitants on the planet. So we, uh, you know, uh, I, I agree with you know some of the things the Green Party talks about. Um, I don't agree necessarily with a lot of their economic positions, mm-hmm. but 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 they're right that we do as a society we do have to make this transformation and we have to do it quickly. Um, the Alliance Party has uh, suggested. Uh, the creation of a uh, new public and private industry uh, infrastructure program that would employ 10 million people uh, over the next 10 years. And uh, we're, th- th- this pandemic has made this uh, a, a real possibility mm-hmm. uh, with, what, 51 million people losing their jobs since mid-March. 
Um, we're we're going to have to do something to employ these people. So let's do it the right way. Um, let's make this transformation now. Let's make the, the uh, very, very expensive investment in this as a country. Um, but this is the perfect opportunity for us to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, uh, the environment's always been a pretty big issue uh, with me. And uh, I was uh, years ago. In 1980, I was a, uh, uh, a member and delegate to the Citizens Party Convention, which uh, uh, ran uh, Dr. Barry Commoner from, from your neck of the woods uh, for president, the great environmentalist. Um, he tried to warn the country about these things. That was 40 years ago. Wow. And wow. He, he was talking about this very thing then. And as a, as a country, we've done very little to move in that direction. Yeah, you, you mentioned... Um... Uh, COVID or the people that are out of job, out of 51 million people lost their jobs. And, and this is, um, I would be very interested. I think it's too early to ask that question, but um, I, it, I wonder what the impact on the environment, on the ecology has been because you see places like, um, um, I think it was Venice, Italy or something like that, where the, where it, the air is getting cleaner and, and the water is clear and, um, you're hearing, I think it was, uh, also the Taj Mahal in India. And I've been to India several times. And I know that smog there is, is you think it's bad in LA. It's in, try going to India. It's, it's, um, oh, wow. it's really bad there. Um, because there's just so many people, but the Taj Mahal, you could barely see it right in, in the old photographs. Mm-hmm. And now you can see it crystal clear. Now it may just be the weather clearing on a, on a particularly good day, but I tend to think mm-hmm. that there's, uh, there's probably, if there is a silver lining with everybody um, 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 being affected by this by this virus, it would be that it's an interesting study to see how quickly and how resilient the ecology, the the, uh, the environment, really is in this situation. Very good. So, uh, let's move on to something else here. Um, in the introduction, I mentioned that you wrote a book called uh, "A Nation Divided," and that's where you discussed the dramatic political events taking place around the 1968 election. And uh, these political these political events were against a backdrop of a major cultural shift primarily brought about by the ongoing war in Vietnam. And um, personally, I was just a young lad at that time when all this was taking place. But I do remember watching the news back then um, when the uh, government forces uh, this is uh, for fast forward a couple of years because uh, in 1970 the government forces turned on its own citizens, often with tragic sure. consequences, such as the Kent State Massacre, which happened just over 50 years ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward to now, 2020, we're seeing another cultural upheaval brought on not by a foreign war, although that could be part of the motivation, but it's mostly an internal war at this point. And it's a war that has its roots in the unfulfilled promises of the 1960s civil rights movement. Um, so here we are again. We find ourselves once again staring down into the abyss of the end of possible end of American civilization. And a, a previous guest on this podcast, uh, futurist uh, David Hull, describes the upcoming 2020s as potentially the most disruptive in history. So the stakes, the stakes in this election are very high, um, perhaps mm-hmm. the highest they've ever been. So, with that in mind, what do you, what do you bring, in, what do you and Rocky bring into the table to provide a path through this mess that we're in? Um, we're, we're, we're bringing calm. 
calm and a, a kind of a rational uh, view of things. Uh, the country, uh, Dan, let's, let's be perfectly honest. Um, everyone in the country uh, is afraid uh, or at least worried about what the future is going to hold uh, for them individually, but for, for the nation and the world. I mean, these, this is an unprecedented time that we're living in. Um, we, we have the pandemic. We have a, uh, some social unrest uh, as a result of uh, racial injustice in this country. And uh, Rocky being the only real minority candidate in this race, I think he's uh, well-equipped uh, to, speak, to speak to some of these uh, things, especially as they relate to, you know, brown and black uh, Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we, we, we want to, uh, uh, we're, we're in total agreement, you know, that, that there, there is uh, uh, racial inequality, uh, racial injustice. Uh, we understand the concerns of the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, uh, you know, uh, President Trump, on the other hand, is, uh, you know, almost trying to stoke some of this, maybe as, you know, a, a repeat of, of uh, the late 60s, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, George Wallace and to a lesser extent, Richard Nixon, both played the whole law and order card. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's Trump's, uh, Trump wants to play that role in this campaign. Uh, but he's stoking uh, this very thing. If you look at what's happening in Portland, yeah. um, using uh, federal troops to supposedly, you know, protect federal property, uh, but they've been, a, you know, they've uh, there have been scenes of uh, federal agents attacking peaceful demonstrators that mm-hmm. they were never invited into the city. Uh, but I, I think Trump would like to see this spark, and uh, and then rely on, you know. Uh, a lot of more conservative white Americans to uh, rally to his cause. Well, you know, once they see, you know, uh, some of these scenes of, of, of you know, social unrest. Uh, uh, Nixon, Nixon did it in, a, uh, in his own, own way in the 68 campaign. George Wallace uh, made no bones about it. I mean, that was the law and order constituency he, he believed was his. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it did resonate. So I think Trump's kind of hoping for something similar here in this election, particularly when he's trailing by, in some cases, double digits. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know, badly mishandled the pandemic. So he needs, uh, he needs another cause here where he thinks you know, a, a plurality of Americans will rally to his banner. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's scary times, um, uh, but Rocky and I wanna you know, address these things in a rational way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're, we're ideally positioned. We have uh, a first-generation Mexican-American heading our ticket, mm-hmm. and uh, this is something you know Rocky feels strongly about. Uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky had never run for political office until um, uh, Trump came down the escalator in in the fall mm-hmm. of 2015 and began attacking Mexicans and Muslims. That motivated Rocky to get into the uh, the Democratic presidential race at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so offended by it. So we, we're, we're kind of ideally situated um, with a candidate who uh, not only understands, but is willing to address uh, these inequalities and, and this, this, you know, frankly, injustice. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the arsonist that starts the fire and then tries to look like a hero by, you know, rushing in and right. putting it out, you know, or something like that. Right. And, right. Yeah. Well it, put. Well put. Yeah. There is uh, 
There's one other example. I had I'd come up with this in a previous uh, podcast and talked about, you know, everybody likes to talk about Star Wars. But there is this uh, very interesting part of Star Wars, I thought, and it's it's obviously it's fiction, but it's, you know, it's obviously inspired by things that have really happened in our history. But there's this uh, there's this approach that uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but Senator Palpatine is stoking unrest and terrorism uh, throughout the uh, throughout the planetary system. And then he rushes in and tries to establish, you know, become the law and order person. And yeah, you know what happens after that? He basically takes over. So it's right. it's a story mm. that's been told again and again throughout our history in the past, and also through our science fiction history of a of a of a alternate universe, I suppose. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's very interesting. And, and and it's it's interesting that you talk also about uh, Rocky being. Um, inspired by the uh, by the negativism that's going on and I think that's uh, I think that's getting a lot of people motivated these days so mm-hmm. very good so um, let's uh, turn the page here a little bit uh, we're, we're gonna you you spent a lot of your life studying and writing about minor parties in the United States and in this podcast, we've also spent a lot of our time discussing topics like ballot access, unfair voting practices, and in general, the fortification of the castle walls of the duopoly. I call it the castle walls mm-hmm. of the duopoly, the duopoly mm-hmm. being the Democrats and Republicans. And so the duopoly itself is described as a, quote, politics industry in a book by, the, by that same name uh, written by Catherine Gell and, and Michael Porter. And we're trying to get Catherine on the show, by the way. But in this book, the authors describe today's political system as, quote, self-serving, self-perpetuating private industry composed of gain-seeking actors who write their own rules. And so the authors spend the rest of the book describing how they can or how we can change the system by changing the rules of the game. And, and it's so anyways, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. But here we are. We're trying to breach the walls of the castle, but the sad reality is that you know we need help. Uh, you and mm-hmm. Roque de la Fuente need help. Uh, you need money. You need publicity, mm-hmm. and then you need more money. So, uh, <laughs> and so money—the big money, anyways—comes with strings attached. So, unless you've built a catapult that I don't know about, uh, how you how do you plan on uh, breaching the castle walls? Well. Uh... I, I don't know that it's possible, mm-hmm. um, but we're certainly going to try. Uh, you know, uh, I've, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, um, have been doing this for, you know, four decades. Um, I think uh, what we can do uh, using social media as much as humanly possible um, is first let the American people know that we're out here and, um, you know, introduce you know uh, rocky uh to an electorate that to the degree they know of him at all they pretty much oh he's he's kind of an eccentric perennial candidate well rocky's a much more substantive human being than that mm-hmm. rocky is a uh, very generous humanitarian he cares deeply about this country he's alarmed by the direction this country is going and uh, i actually believe that if, if we can have a some sort of breakthrough, whether it's through social media, I, I, I'm not very confident that it will be through the any of the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. I think uh, 
uh, Rocky's candidacy will will resonate. Um, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, uh, most people, if they're really honest with themselves, they know the country's in trouble. Mm-hmm. They know the two parties have failed us, not just failed us, but failed us miserably. Mm-hmm. And I think deep down, um, people are longing for something different. And this is where the Alliance Party and Rocky's candidacy steps into the void. Uh, the question is, you know, do we have enough time um, to, to, to make the American public aware that we even exist in the first place? Mm-hmm. And um, then how do we mobilize people to action? And uh, this is our country. If you love your country, you care about it, and you realize that it's not, not I mean, things could be so much better, so much better. Even pre-pandemic, we, we, we were in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Wall Street was uh, propping up the, the financial services industry uh, long, long before the first coronavirus death. So the, the, the country's in pretty bad shape. And my message to the American people is, if you love your country, help us change it. Help us change it. Everyone, everyone is entitled to a vote. Uh, it's not clear at this point how many ballots Rocky and I will be, be on in the country, hopefully mm-hmm. enough that we can at least mathematically have a chance for the, the magic 270 electoral votes. Mm-hmm. But my, my message is come and join us. You know, it's later than we think. And this is the country. If you love it, help us because we're really hurting. We're really hurting. Good. Well put. Yeah. Speaking of, of ballot access, I've been looking at the map on uh, the Alliance Party, and it looks like there's quite a few states already that um, have, well, Florida, you're the state where you're located right now, um, mm-hmm. is uh, you're on the ballot there. Uh, the the other big ones would be, I, I would guess, would be California, New York, and Ohio. It looks like those are kind of in play. Can you give us an update on what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me. Uh, uh, Tim Cotton, uh, the Alliance Party's political director, is, is is now heavily involved with Rocky's ballot access drives, and um, I'm probably going to call Tim later this weekend. But my understanding, as of uh, a day or two ago, is that uh, New York, um, uh, we we pretty much uh, uh, had started to write it off, but there mm-hmm. there was a recent development with the uh, Serve America movement, um, where there's maybe a possibility um, that that uh, we could get that nomination. It's it's maybe a long shot at this point, but uh, there's at least a one key party member trying to make something happen. Uh, the Serve America movement was founded in 2018. Uh, they ran Stephanie Minor, the former mayor of Syracuse for governor. She, she pulled over 50,000 votes. So it's a qualified party. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they have the potential to nominate a presidential ticket. The, my understanding is the current uh, party chair is opposed to running a presidential ticket, but it's possible that uh, some of the uh, state committee members could uh, persuade him to change his mind. Um, of course, we're, we're up against short deadlines in most of these states. Yeah. The, in California, the American Independent Party uh, uh, Rocky is actively seeking their nomination. Now, the AIP was founded in 1967. They've been on the ballot 
for 53 consecutive years. Mm. Um, it was founded by uh, actually an old friend of mine, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Bill Shear. Uh, his wife, Eileen, coined the name American Independent Party. But believe it or not, they were supporters of George Wallace's candidacy in 1968. Mm -hmm. uh, but Bill was a little more um, uh, complex than just being a Wallace supporter. He was, uh, Bill was a, 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 what I would call a true populist. Uh, he was opposed to the war in Vietnam, uh, which many of Wallace supporters were not. They favored the war. Uh, but Bill decided, you know, he would support Wallace in that campaign. And um, I think it would be kind of a delicious irony in history that a party that was founded to support George Wallace in 1968 would, uh, uh, nominate a first-generation Mexican-American candidate for the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But but there is some sentiment within that party to to nominate Trump, which is what they did in 2016. Mm. So California's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying, uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens on uh, August 15th. That's when they're going to hold their, uh, their state convention. Um, now, in some other states, uh, I'm pleased to report that petition drives appear to have been completed recently in Arkansas, New Jersey, um, let's see, Arkansas, New Jersey, uh, the state of Washington, Michael Berger uh, did a great job up there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see, Washington, uh, Tennessee is completed. We filed paperwork in Colorado. Um, uh, Rocky would like to petition in a battleground state like Ohio and mm -hmm. another key battleground state, Virginia. I, I believe we're still looking for electors there. So if anyone knows elector, uh, anyone in, in Virginia or, or Ohio, if they could contact us, uh, we, could, we could certainly use some more electors in both of those states. Um, we've also, we're, we're real, also really close to wrapping up petition drives in uh, Alaska and in Maine. Okay. Um, and there's, uh, and the Minnesota party, they're great. Uh, Phil Fuhrer and uh, the Minnesota group, uh, and I will be going out there to their state convention uh, to to address uh, to address them uh, next month. But they they're circulating petitions for Rocky right now, and wow. uh, that's the old uh, Independence Party, which is now the now called the Independence Alliance, Alliance Party, Party. Yeah. since they merged with the Alliance. And uh, of course, as everyone knows, they elected Jesse Ventura as governor in 1998. And, Mm -hmm. really stunned the world yeah, uh, yeah. so um, things are you know it's difficult you know petitioning during this pandemic but we're we're, uh, we're, we're trying to get you know as many states as we can um, there's a lot of states where the deadlines have now passed that we would have liked to have had right. um, but um, you yeah. know the, the a lot of people don't uh, like a lot of the paid professional circulators um, are kind of sitting this out because uh, you know, for health concerns, right, and you really right. can't blame them. Yeah. So um, we're do we're doing what we can, and uh, if we get California and New York by some stroke of luck in both cases, I, I think we'd be, we'd be fairly well positioned um, to make some noise in you know the Alliance Party's maiden campaign, yeah. and it would truly be an alliance because we uh, uh, are pretty confident we have the Natural Law Party line in Michigan. We have the Reform Party line here in Florida. And, uh, uh, you know, so it's going to be a, a true alliance of existing single state parties. Yeah. How about Texas? That's a, that's a big one, too. 
but I don't see that yeah, one showing up on the map at all. Yeah, Texas is really, really tough. Um, that's the, the signature requirement is, uh, I believe, 79,000. Mm-hmm. And that, that's impossible even in the best of times, let alone during a pandemic. Yeah. So um, uh, Texas is pretty much out of the picture. Um, you had mentioned uh, uh, Teresa Amato earlier. Yeah. Um, and yet it was a wonderful podcast you had uh, with her. And uh, she's uh, uh, now involved in a lawsuit with Oliver Hall from the Center for Competitive Democracy. I've been helping them with the lawsuit to eventually um, uh, reduce, you know, the Lone Star State's um, uh, absurd signature requirement. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, 79,000 signatures. Uh, so you probably need probably 125,000 raw signatures just to get the the uh, requisite number of valid signatures. I mean, that is so costly. That would cost Rocky or or any other candidate at, at least a half a million dollars. Yeah. And uh, so so we do want to someday uh, reduce the uh, onerous you know requirement there. Yeah. We had, um, oh, just uh, very briefly, I want to mention, we had uh, uh, State Representative Debbie Lavender on the show here. She's uh, from Missouri here. And um, she, you know, I, I, she, I don't think she was completely aware of the, of the signature requirements in Missouri and the difficulties that third parties have getting on the ballot. But uh, she, she's, uh, she's Democrat, and she's running for a state senator position right now. But she has pledged her, uh, her cooperation in the future. So... Um, great. Yeah, I, yeah. Missouri's. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Missouri's a, a kind of difficult state. Ten thousand signatures. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if if she's going to help, you know, going forward, that would be uh, uh, tremendous. Yeah, that would be good. It was. Uh, it, it's an uphill battle with some of these states. So I, I know Missouri. I know it pretty well. It's uh, uh, run by Governor Parson, and he's just completely uninvolved in helping any third parties. In fact, I wrote my my personal state senator um, and got a very nasty response from him. I asked him for help, you know, in, in the time of COVID. And uh, it was a very, um, I don't want to mention it over the air exactly what he said, mm-hmm. but it was it was something that I, I wouldn't think would ever come out of a politician, let alone on, a, on an email that could be widely circulated. But I thought, okay, I'll just wow. bury this and, you know, we'll Amazing. just go on with life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Now, I know that uh, I believe it was F- Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey. I believe he's allowing electronic petitions, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's correct. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we, we went out. I, I believe our signatures were all handled by, uh, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, had a, we had a ballot access team from uh, Arizona go up there to uh, New Jersey. Uh, but, but another thing Murphy did, which was positive, um, the electors, we needed 16 electors in the Garden State. And um, the, uh, the governor said that, uh, and they, they all have to be, you know, they all have to sign and date forms that have to be notarized, but they waived the notary requirement, which, mm. was, which was positive, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so New Jersey looks, uh, looks good. Um, the deadline's actually on Monday, so we hope to file there. But there have been some states that have reduced or modified the signature requirement this, this time because of the uh, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, Vermont waived their signature requirement altogether. Wow. It wasn't it wasn't really onerous. It was a thousand to begin with. Oh wow! But 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 they waived it. So 
we should be able to qualify there as well. Yeah. And of course, everyone and their brother will probably qualify there. <laughs> They'll yeah. probably have two, <laughs> two dozen or three dozen candidates on the ballot. But, uh, uh, but other states have refused, have absolutely refused to oh, give, yeah. grant any relief. Yeah. Yeah. Missouri's one of them. Some signature yeah. requirements. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, I think he reduced it down to like 10 or 20 percent of what it was. I, I don't remember what the numbers are anymore, but. Um, you know, right. um, these, these people are, you know, they're, they're being pretty reasonable. I, I, I'm not, I have kind of a problem with having to sign these things in the first place, but uh, at least mm-hmm. they're not as onerous in a situation like we're in right now with this COVID virus. Okay. Um, is there anything, uh, this is, I would go to the call to action portion of the podcast here. Is there um, anything that people can do to help uh, the Alliance Party and get involved in your candidacy? And by the way, we're talking with vice presidential candidate Darcy Richardson from the Alliance Party. Thank you, Dan. I, I would encourage um, all, all of your listeners to um, uh uh, do what they can. If you're interested, uh, go to uh, either the the Alliance Party, that's with a T H E Alliance Party dot com website, or go to uh, uh, Rocky's website at uh, Rocky one hundred one dot com. Uh, volunteer, uh, contribute if you can. Um, if you uh, can serve as an elector for us, or could carry a petition, uh, depending on what state you live in. Uh, you know, get involved. Uh, we, we need your help. Uh, the country's hurting. And uh, we want to you know, be able to offer the American people a pragmatic, centrist uh, alternative uh, in November. Uh, we've got to end the, the hyperpartisan, uh, extreme hyperpartisanship and uh, polarization of American politics. And this would be a good first step in doing that. Um, we've got to come together. Um, you know, we're, as Rocky says, we're stronger together. This is our country. We love it. And let's save it. And again, we've been talking with vice presidential candidate Darcy Richardson. Well, Darcy, uh, best of luck to you. And uh, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate yeah. it. Good. Thank you, everybody, for joining, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week will bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.